Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Welcome, everybody, to uh, our next episode of Enacting the Kingdom. Welcome, Father Jeffrey. Thank it's you. It's a nice, dreary Friday morning here in Hamilton, Ontario. Mm, not much better here. Well, uh, we're going to brighten up the day with our conversation. Very good. Our topic right now for this episode is how do we bring the meaning of these lamplighting psalms uh, out into the real world, so to speak. So we call this segment um, Enacting the Kingdom, which is actually the the name of our show, uh, because, you know, Father Jeffrey and I believe that um, uh, the liturgy is actually ultimately enacted outside in the actual real world. So, uh, yeah, so to give a little quick summary of where we've been so far, the lamplighting psalms are four psalms in a row, Psalm 140, 141, 129, 116, all in a row, kind of in the middle of Vespers, and there's this narrative trajectory to it. Um, we talked a, a lot about that ultimate U-shape pattern, uh, going down into the depths and then up again into kind of a reorientation. Uh, we talked about actually lighting the lamps and actually bringing light into the church space at that time. But how does the how do these psalms actually affect our life outside of church. I guess where I want to begin today, Father Jeffrey, we talked a bit about how you are almost called to bring in your outside life into the service here. Like when you when you read the words, um, I call upon you, O Lord, come quickly to me, right? Give, give ear to my voice when I call to you. You're almost expected to kind of almost bring some of your daily struggles and, and call to the Lord in that context. But how do we then, I guess, bring that out is that the same process? Even bringing something into the church versus bringing it out? Yeah, I think it's analogous. Um, and you know, we've emphasized so far. I think that you know there'll be some level of connection, you know, with the psalms as they are expressed, you know, from the and and, and as they move from kind of isolation and separation into kind of the community of faith and, and all of that, that, uh, that those transitions that are made in the course of, of the narrative of the Psalm. So I think everybody as a human being would have some level of, of connection with these. And that, and I have to say, I mean, that's even despite the way we often do this, right? We truncate the Psalms. We, we omit them. You know, we don't give them their full kind of shape as four individual Psalms that they're, they're often expressed just as you know, individual verses, as we've said, and that sort of thing. But even then, there's a connection. The, the very words of even one of those verses resonates with us, because we have some experience of this from outside that we've brought in. Well, so now the move is to say, there's something about the way we celebrate and, you know, commemorate these kinds of expressions of uh, lament and struggle and a move towards faith within the liturgy that is a kind of concentrated rehearsal, you know, for the world. So here's a kind of strange thing maybe to think about, but we're supposed to practice being sad. 
or practice being isolated or practice being uh, having that experience of separation from God and from our fellow members of the covenant community of God so that so that when we do experience that outside we know where to go with it right so uh, in other words even if you you know are not currently feeling like you're struggling or tempted by you know the those kind of that like the camp of the unrighteous as that first psalm has it you know the you know i'm surrounded by all this iniquity and temptation what do i do the traps have been laid for me all that kind of thing even if we're not currently experiencing that having rehearsed that in that kind of concentrated way and connected with it in the liturgy the hope is obviously that living that out liturgically in the world will mean when we are confronted with that, then we know what to do. Where, where does that go? Where, where is the next step on that process? Well, we've been formed. We've been formed in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies by the movement and the themes of the liturgy. So that indeed, when, when we're confronted with these situations in the world, liturgically, we've already been formed to know what the next step is. You know, we know that if we're isolated and on our own and feeling like we're tempted by by those around us, we know the movement has to be into community, has to be like the psalmist found into, you know, the, the company of the righteous. And about that, you know, that beautiful imagery of the anointing, you know, that, uh, that the righteous, you know, can, can provide that is different from the anointing of, of, of the wicked and so forth. Or that second psalm, which is about moving from, you know, isolation and despair into the temple of God to worship in the community together. And all of that, you know, you, you mentioned again that U shape, that the, the, the descent and then the, knowing that there's an ascent to come and what that looks like moving back towards t- community, back towards worship in the presence of God, back towards ultimately in that fourth psalm, that, that glorification of God that is universal, all the nations and so forth. And so in a, in a strange way, you know, the, the, the liturgy is actually teaching us how to experience suffering and grief and isolation and misery and sadness and, and, uh, and hurt and betrayal and all of these kinds of things that are expressed in these Psalms, but to show us what then to do with that, that we're not left there in those places in the world. So the liturgy you know, and the worship of the church isn't this kind of, you know, cut off sacred, holy thing that we go and do that is so disconnected from our lives. It's actually where we practice living in a, in a, you know, totally realistic way so that when we do experience those things, we, we have some, some place to go, some, some movement of heart and soul towards, um, the community and worship of, of God in his you know, covenant community of grace and love. One of the metaphors I've been using recently, which is a famous metaphor when it comes to church life, but is one of breathing. Uh, in that, a bre- breathing is a two-part thing, right? So you breathe in and you breathe out, and you have to do those to basically continue being alive. And the metaphor being that it applies to our life in church. Uh, going along with what you were talking about uh, when it comes to uh, these psalms, that you you go into the church to then, uh, but that's not the only thing about your life. Like you have to go back out of the church, and that is an essential uh, process uh, that that kind of 
that liturgical life expects of us in that we come to the church, we rehearse what it actually means to be human, and then we are breathed out again to actually go be human in, in the world. Uh, is, is that, am I, is that, is that a uh, good metaphor, Father Jeffrey? I think so. I mean, when we talk about, you know, breathing metaphors, the marvelous thing, of course, is that breath and wind and spirit are all the same word in both the Hebrew and the Greek. And so, you know, one's always on the right track thinking about breath and wind and spirit and so forth. But I would maybe modify slightly what you said in, 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 terms of saying, you know, we come together and we're the church and then we go away. But actually, we are the church when we gather and we are the, we continue to be the church when we disperse. I mean, that's kind of one of the fundamental lessons to learn about the interconnection between liturgy and life, as it were, is that Yes, there are times in our life when we are, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters in, in the church. And, you know, we, we have these profound experiences of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst. And we, we share the sacraments together. We, we pray these beautiful services. We hear the, the marvelous hymns of the feasts and so forth. And, and, you know, we feel being church, the congregation of God, the ecclesia, the, you know, the covenant community gathered in God's presence, we feel that in a profound way. But what we're ultimately meant to take from that is that when we do disperse, in, in your metaphor, when we're, we're breathed back out into the world, we don't cease being church. You know, we are still, we're the, we're the church of God, but dispersed amongst his creation, amongst the world that is being all of it gathered up in into the kingdom of God. And so to, to really sense God's presence and the ongoing presence really of the whole community of the church in every moment of our lives is part of what we're talking about here when we say about extending the liturgy, you know, into, into life. And, and I think, you know, we, if we were to sort of normally think about that or cast that in, in some sort of way, we would think about, okay, well, we do certain things, we rehearse them in, in liturgy that are very kind of have a religious cast to them, right? That, um, you know, we come to church and we, we exchange the peace and that's meant to extend into our life. We exchange the peace you know, with one another, we offer peace to the world, or, you know, we come to church, we learn to repent and offer forgiveness to, to one another. And we do all these kind of more religious things. But I, I think it's really interesting to think about we come to church and we learn how to be sad in the, in a godly way. We learn how to be angry in a godly way. We learn how to be, you know, uh, you know, isolated in a godly way. And all of these things are, are encapsulated in our services. If we listen carefully, if we hear them, if we go through the, 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 the periods of, of deep meditation and reflection that we talked about earlier with the, the Cathisma Psalms or here with these, you know, the Lord I call, the lamplighting Psalms, the Psalms of, of the evening. Uh, if we hear that at a deep, deep level in our life, it's actually teaching us the fullness of what it is to be a human being who is embedded in church. In other words, embedded in God's community, which is what a full and proper hum humanity is all about, right? We're all called to, to belong to that because the church is what God has called. And, and ultimately that is, you know, the calling of every human being in the image and likeness of God to be that, you know, kind of creature. And so it involves every facet of our being. And so it's, I think, rather interesting to think about church as the place where we learn to, to, to yes, be joyful, 
joyful and to celebrate God's presence in his Holy Spirit, but also how we learn to be sad or angry or isolated and all of these things in a way that is consistent with our calling to be church, gathered as well as dispersed. So you often hear people talk about, you know, uh, maybe being joyful as a Christian. Our, our, our job is to be joyful and to always live in the, the joy of the resurrection. And some people even go into sad situations just saying, you know, well, Christ is risen, so I'm going to be happy and joyful and, and everything like that. And then I think our society in terms of, you know, Western society, we're in Canada in the year 2020 right now, there, there is this sense of um, wanting to keep things light and happy and sometimes when people come into an Orthodox service, it seems to be kind of a downer. You look at the icons and they look sad. Then we start reading things like, you know, um, you know, we start reading texts like, um, in, in the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me, right? And, and, and a lot of people don't understand the place of that. And, and I guess my question to you to sort of feed you uh the next question would be isn't it the job of christians to actually just be joyful out in the world and bring like joy and peace to everybody why are we expected to bring out that sadness into the world if that makes sense yeah well no in a funny way this reflects that earlier conversation you know we had about in is something like the service of vespers not just presenting to us what's already happened salvation history you know it's set before his creation and then this is the fall and then you know as christians we're living already in in that period of redemption you know post christ saving mysteries and so forth and and therefore shouldn't we just always be happy right because we're we, we're already experienced who christ is we are living in the glory of the salvation that he has brought you know to those who would receive it and I think that's a rather dangerous psychological and spiritual place to try to encourage someone to be in, right? Because it's not realistic. And as we've emphasized, you know, in the earlier podcasts around uh, these lamplighting psalms, I mean, this is, these are not the psalms of people, you know, pre-redemption, right? These are people who belong to the covenant community of God, who are living a realistic life of faith in the world. And so everything that is presented here is actually given as a kind of, you know, pattern for, you know, how do you actually live that? Expect suffering, expect sadness, expect, you know, heartache in this world. Um, but don't, you don't stay there. You, you know, the Christian response is not everything is fine. You just can't tell, you know, at the moment, but rather there is hope in the very deepest pit of despair. When the, when it's darkest, and remember, this is when this is being celebrated, right? The dark is closing in. The light of Christ is available to us to kind of shine our way forward through what he leads us. I mean, ultimately, the pat, that U-shaped pattern is the pattern of Christ, of course. And what's really telling, I think, is, um, that this identification you know, with the, the narrative and with the, the themes and the words of, in, in here, in a very pronounced way, the Psalms, but I mean, also in a wider sense, all of the scriptures is, is something our Lord himself shows us. How often in the Gospels is he quoting 
you know, from the, the scriptures from, and, and, you know, with, whether that's, you know, directly in confrontation with Satan, you know, in the wilderness or in a very, very powerful, I mean, take, for example, the words of Christ, you know, from the cross, you know, when he, you know, is hanging on the cross at that ultimate point of his obedient, faithful, voluntary sacrifice for the world, what does he do? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting from the Psalms. And what's really important about that is that's not just a verse in isolation, right? That Psalm, which is uh, Psalm 21 in, in the, in the Septuagint or 22 in the Hebrew, you know, is the most profound expression of isolation and despair and separation from God, but it also contains the most powerful expression of faith and hope and deliverance. And it ends like this whole trajectory we've just seen with these four Psalms in uh, the Lamplighting Psalms, the Evening Psalms of Vespers. It ends not only you know, with a return to praising God for his deliverance, having kind of rehearsed that we know this is going to happen because God has been faithful in the past. He will continue to be faithful. But it not only ends there. It not only goes to all the nations of the world, but it goes to those who are already dead and those who are not yet being born, celebrating and glorifying God. It is, as I say, at, at, at the same time, the most profound statement of isolation, isolation and despair, but also the most profound statement and wide-ranging statement of glory in God. And those are the words our Lord speaks from the cross. And he doesn't stand, you know, hang there and say, let me give you a theological discourse on what it means to identify for, you know, me as God with all of humanity in its deepest suffering. No, he quotes the Psalms. He goes to that narrative expression, uh, you know, that would be so familiar to the person listening and to, to those, you know, who are hearing the words of the gospel in, in the, in the years and generations after that. That's our, that's the pattern for, for what we do. You know, we learn the 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 deep meaning and uh, you know the words of the psalm so that we can take that with us into our life and if our lord does that from the cross you know how can we not benefit from that pattern of, of of life when if we take that into the life that we live in the world and so in our daily struggles in ourselves with our families and our workplaces and our schools all the things that we come across you know if we express that same faithful uh you know, adherence to the, the pattern of life that is given to us in the Psalms. Again, this is the words of faithful people, not the words of those who are not yet redeemed. Then we will make that move with them into uh, that the, the place where God wants us to be, which is continuing to adhere faithfully to the love and grace that he gives to us. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. 
To get access to this private podcast, go to pryingpriest.com. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. Uh, A lot of people sometimes just don't understand why we're reading ancient Hebrew poetry from two to 3,000 years ago. Um, how is it possibly uh, relevant or, or even, um, even in the context of, it's a kind of explicitly about a particular country and nation state. Uh, for example, in Psalm 129, uh, in verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Well, Israel is a past, I mean, there's the modern state of Israel, but in this context, it's a it's a past kingdom. How how what's the connection between, I guess, Israel and like the world now? I guess that is opening up a bit of a can of worms, but um, how is that relevant? How should we be understanding the word Israel here? Well, it's an absolutely excellent question. And it does, you know, as you suggest, uh, warrant a much fuller um, discussion at some point. But just in a nutshell, as it were, um, I think part of the problem of the reason people ask that question is they haven't quite understood, you know, what it means to be a Christian, to follow the one who is the anointed Messiah of Israel. I mean, it, it is Jesus Christ who comes, who in himself encapsulates the whole history of Israel and, and, and relives it in a faithful way, uh, and fulfills all the covenant promises that began with God calling Abraham, you know, and, and his family into relationship with him. And it, it, Jesus becomes the king of, of that in order then to break it out, to, to invite the whole world in. To be a Christian is to be grafted into that, is to be a member of the covenant community of Israel. So all of this, I mean, we should not just sort of dissociate, you know, from it, or even just kind of translate it, or even use a kind of trite, well, the church is the new Israel. So we'll, you know, we'll just make that leap. No, the church can only be the new Israel in the sense of being grafted into what God has already begun as a, as a saving work in calling Abraham and his descendants through whom he promises to bless all the nations of the earth. And so this move that we get in these four Psalms towards, at the end, all the nations blessing God and, and recognizing God as the one true God, that is actually a direct response to Genesis and to the call of Abraham and, and that promise that was made that all the nations will bless God. But in the, who, which God will they bless? The God of Israel. And, and how will by joining themselves to the worship of Israel, which is what these Psalms say, which is what, you know, the, the New Testament says, it, our Lord says that in the Gospels, St. Paul emphasizes that over and over again. We are not, we are not saved apart from Israel. And there isn't like a, a replacement of, you know, a breaking of one thing in order to replace it with a wholly new thing. No, it's that God's fashioning of the clay pot of, of salvation is continual. Like a, the, the, the potter at the, 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 with the clay is continually reshaping and refashioning it. It was never cast into the fire and made, 
you know, a, a solid object. It was continually being shaped and now it's shaped so that the whole world joins in with that. But it is still that same covenant, that same promise made to Israel fulfilled now. So all of these things are meaningful to us and we can join ourselves, you know, to those words um, in, in a direct way. It's not even by analogy or by extension or, you know, some sort of mental move uh, of interpretation uh, or whatever. But the other thing I would just say is that they are ancient words indeed, but how beautiful is it that these same emotions and feelings and frustrations and sufferings continue to be the same ones that afflict us today? You know, I, I know a lot of people through this past year who have gone through very many of the same feelings of, of, of frustration, isolation, and so forth. When, when churches get closed or people are cut off from, from the community uh, of salvation, they are very much in the same place where, you know, the, the psalmist is, who is, you know, yearning for getting back into the into the temple or into the gathering of the community where where God's glory is fully manifest where where he can be part of again the community worship and so forth so how much more meaningful you know are are these words for us when we actually realize that our experience is the same. We often have this kind of, uh, C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery, you know, that somehow we are, we've evolved to being these very sophisticated, advanced human beings that, that wouldn't be able to relate to the primitive, you know, feelings and emotions of, of ancient peoples. But when we actually enter into it, and if you have a, a decent enough translation of ancient texts, because you know, there's a, there's a level of distance just from the, the textual side of things, but you'll realize very quickly, human being is human being is human being. And, you know, we have not advanced much on the kind of feelings and ex existential, you know, reality of what it means to be a human being compared to, to say the ancient, uh, the ancient forebears who were in the same covenant community. So in many ways, we are not so distant at all. If we really hear those words in our minds and our hearts. All right. So if I'm picking up what you're putting down in general in this episode, it's that you know, these psalms, it's not so much about what can we take out of these psalms and then kind of apply to our life outside of church. It's more that when you living a life means that there will be depths, that there will be lows and there will be highs and there will be movement between these two kind of um, modes of being, I guess, or, or situations. Um, and that these psalms serve as... Um, a way of reflecting on that on a regular basis. Yeah. And here's the thing, even if you haven't, for whatever reason, you've been, you're, you're young maybe, or you've been magically project, protected from these kinds of experiences, come to church because you will learn how to live that when you do experience it. Because believe me, it's coming. If you're a human being, you will experience these things. And it's not that you are, by experiencing them, somehow outside of church, outside of the community of the faithful. Uh, here is a way to live those experiences in a faithful way. So whether you already know and connect, connect to it directly, or whether you're coming and you're rehearsing it in order to, to go and live that one day, then this is the place to come and experience it and know the right way to do it and the right direction to, to, to take it as a faithful member of God's covenant community. 
You've just finished listening to another public episode of Enacting the Kingdom. If you're getting value from this podcast and you'd like to support the show, you can head over to pryingpriest.com to become a patron. Also, five-star ratings with written reviews go a long way to getting the word out there about this show. Also, since Enacting the Kingdom is social media free, any word of mouth recommendations you can make to your friends and family would be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next time.